Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Mormons. I appreciate your patience as we uh, were uh, putting this this uh, ship together and making it a, a behemoth of a source online. And uh, as, as we figure things out, like I've said, uh, hopefully by the new, new year, we'll have some regular rotating uh, co-hosts uh, that will step in and it won't be reliant on just me and my voice when I have plenty to do. But uh, this this week and this week in Mormons, it's going to be an episode like you've never heard before because I have guests like you've never heard before, unless you, <laughs> of course, subscribe to their podcast. And that is Rick Bennett and Steve Pineker. How are you two doing? Doing, doing great. great. Good to see you guys. Awesome. Now, uh, man, which, which, which one do we dive into? Rick, let's start with you. If, uh, you've got your gospel tangent shirt loud and proud there and, uh, introduce us to your world. If people aren't familiar with Rick Bennett and his awesome resources. Yeah. So if people aren't familiar with me for about almost seven years, I've been the host of gospel tangents podcast, uh, the best source of Mormon history, science, and theology. I usually don't do a lot of diving into current events. Um, and so this will be a new experience for me. But uh, yeah, if you want to talk about all the funky Mormon history, um, science and theology, that's that's kind of my my deal. So you talk with all sorts, right? I mean, you're not just looking for yeah. the uh, the BYU PhD. <laughs> I, I I talk to uh, fundamentalist Mormons, um, rest, people in the Restoration. I've talked to a, a couple of prophets. Um, Matthew Gill, Denver Snuffer, although Denver doesn't like to be called a prophet, but uh, <laughs> he's apostles. the only one that doesn't believe he's a prophet, right? <laughs> <laughs> Locke McKay from the Community of Christ. I've talked to uh, Patrick, oh Patrick McKay and da- and David Patrick. Patrick McKay is from an apostle for the Joint Conference of Restoration Branches. They're basically a they didn't agree with the women's ordination in the RLDS Church and broke off. And then um, David Patrick is a fundamentalist, Mormon president of the Quorum of the Twelve in a group called Christ Church. Um, they believe in polygamy. They believe that's a godly commandment. Um, I talked to critical Mormons, uh, former Mormons, um, BYU professors. Uh, oh, I had Elder Snow from our church. In fact, the funniest thing... <laughs> When I told my wife that I was going to interview a 70, she said, for whose church? <laughs> That's right. Like, what do you mean? Like, it's our ours. church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he yeah. was the uh, church historian at the time. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and, all flavors of the restoration. So. Yeah, I'd say, like, if somebody's interested in sort of uh, testing out gospel tangents, the one you did where you go through all the different people of the, I don't know if you'd call them splinter groups or the, yeah. the essences of... <laughs> of yeah. uh, the restoration. Uh, really fascinating. I, I went through about 20 groups that I've personally interacted with. Um, I do have a future interview coming up here in December with John Hamer, and he puts my my presentation to shame. <laughs> we, oh, nice. we go almost three I think it's three yeah. hours. So yeah, it's so fascinating. To, yeah. You know, sometimes He's we're just in a... for the community of Christ, by the way. Oh, cool. So. It's so fascinating just to learn about these other groups that are out there and some thriving, some maybe barely hanging on, but uh, right. nonetheless, they're they're there. So, yep. all right, Steve. Now you are a. I mean, how do you? You're definitely not a Latter Day Saint, right? So, how, how do you uh, put yourself in context here? Well, I, I tell people I am a Mormon podcaster, but I'm not Mormon. 
Um, I am an evangelical Christian. The tagline of my channel is Mormon Book <laughs> Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the Restoration. And I can diddle pretty much everything that Rick described for his channel because I do a very similar thing. But I also, I'm, it's through an evangelical outsider lens. And it's somebody, Dr. Randy Bell has, uh, has tagged my channel as the Switzerland of Mormonism. Um, it's become a safe space because I'm about the only podcaster that isn't, quote unquote, in a camp. So it gives me this unique advantage to be able to have these fo these people come on and feel that, like they're treated fairly. So I could have the guy who wrote, the, who directed the movie, Who Killed Joseph Smith uh, movie on, and then have his leading critic on the next a couple days later, and both feel that they were treated fairly. Um, and then, of, of course, I've talked to all the different, you know, Denver Snuffer and all the different groups of the Restoration. And then that kind of led to probably one of the biggest coups for my channel, which was having the very first interview of the uh, one of the co-authors of the paper about the Joseph Smith daguerreotype, uh, Lachlan Mackay, uh, who's a, an apostle in the community of Christ. And John Hamer actually helped uh, set that up. So within 24 hours of the announcement of the photograph that we're taping and I'm posting it on my program. And that's my most, that's actually the most viewed video about the Joseph Smith photo on YouTube. So uh, it's just exciting to be part of the conversation within the restoration. And, and, and what the most important thing is, is it's done in a, in a non-proselytizing way. I don't believe in proselytizing. I just believe in hearing people's voices. So my other tagline is, um, all the voices of the restoration will be heard here on Mormon Book Reviews. And I think that's like a really important thing for people to recognize that it, there is neutrality, there's fairness. And I just want, I'm, I'm genuinely curious about the restoration in and of itself without any agenda. And I think, and I've even had people, pretty well-known uh, Mormon musician, tell me, I watched your channel for a long time. I thought you had an agenda and I realized you don't have one at all. And, and then later on, I had my mom do a special book review called an evangelical, my evangelical mom loves a Mormon book. And it was about a novel that he wrote. And so it's just a beautiful thing where we're having these beautiful conversations with people. And it's, it's done in a, and I think in a Christ-like manner, which I think is what we should all strive for. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now we've had uh, Jeff McCullough on the, on the, this week in Mormon podcast. And um, now he's like a, he has a background as a pastor and whatnot, but you're an yeah. evangelical, but you're not, you're not a former pastor. You're not, again, you're not trying to like convert anybody or influence that. You're just, you're just fascinated by the restoration movement. Absolutely. And of course I was kind of the one that discovered Jeff because before anybody had heard of him, I had him on my program. And uh, at the time he had like 700 subscribers. Now he's got way more than I do. But, uh, but did, at the time yeah. I was the bigger podcaster and I knew as soon as I, I talked to him, I was like, oh, uh, this guy's going to get big really fast. So it was kind of cool to be like the first interview of Jeff and, and uh, get that out there. And this is the key thing. Like, but I do talk to other pastors and other Christian apologists. I'm in touch with pastors and, and stuff in, in, in Utah. And I tell them that one advantage that I have is that I am not, a minister. I'm not affiliated with any denomination. So I'm not answerable to any denominational board. And I, I went to one Christian apologist and said, I can say things you guys wish you could say. And they're like, yeah, you're right, Steve, but they can't. Because, you know, a lot of the engagement that evangelicals are having <laughs> with Mormonism yeah. is actually much more interesting than people realize. And, they, and there's a lot of things that are exciting in one sense, because we're finding real, real relational stuff happening. Where we're actually having, you know, real dialogue. But if we, it got out the kind of conversations we were having, it would probably get some of these people in trouble. <laughs> yeah, 
And I want to give a shout out to your, uh, your recent, uh, I guess, presentation that uh, you posted this past weekend. I really enjoyed it called a Protestant defense of the book of Mormon. And uh, man, I was really fascinated with just how you unpack that because you don't necessarily see the book of Mormon as scripture, but you still uh, hold it up as, I mean, this is a serious book that is definitely Christian. Yeah. It's a Christian book. It's probably one of the most Christian books ever written on American soil. And when I, because you got to understand this is important that this is said because I use all the apologetic tools, all the scholarship that Protestants use to defend the Bible and Christianity. And I just go and take it one step further and say, okay, now let's engage the Book of Mormon and, and treat it with the same respect. Because this is the thing. A lot of Christians believe that basically the Book of Mormon is like the Satanic Bible. Like they wouldn't even let it in their house. And I'm trying to come to say, look, look let's stop this QAnon nonsense. Mm. Let's be grownups here and let's engage the text. And just take it seriously, because there is so much good news in the Book of Mormon <laughs> that it would resonate with many evangelicals, especially Pentecostals and Charismatics. Yeah, yeah, especially King Benjamin. I mean, he's as evangelical as we come. So absolutely. That's awesome. Um, and uh, one thing, I, the one part of that that presentation that I really found fascinating was, uh, you know, as as missionaries, we hear this um you know, the, the scripture in revelation, I forget exactly the reference, you know, that no, nothing else should be added to this book. Right. And that's like textbook. Um, we have a textbook response for that as missionaries that, uh, you know, that's just referring to the book of revelation, which was written before many other books that are in the Bible and whatnot. But you gave one more defense to that, that I, i never knew that was really fascinating. Do you, do you remember what that was? Well, that's that the problem is, is that that verse that's used in the book of Revelation wasn't in the original manuscripts to begin with. And it was actually originally many uh, scholars uh, believe that it was actually in the <laughs> margins as a warning to the scribes. Hey, don't make sure make sure you don't make goof this up and add or subtract anything from this. And actually and this this is documented that this has happened to many other verses, that things that were in the margins made their way into the scriptures themselves. And so that's the great irony is that they did add to the book of Revelation and uh, with something that wasn't in the original documents. And so when evangelicals make that argument, they are really just, they don't even know what they're talking about because they don't even know basic biblical criticism, biblical scholarship 101 will tell you that especially the, the, that the, like the last six verses of Revelation that what's included in that are, are, are were added on and, and it's not in the original manuscript. Well, I definitely have you both on individually and we'll sort of do a deep dive interview and explore more of, of what you do because it's really just fascinating, just your perspectives and the people you have on, what you learn. And um, I just really enjoy this type of content that isn't, you know, you, you, the typical content you may find in a church bookstore, you know, a, a Orthodox church bookstore, but it's still important and, and it, it uh, informs my faith in a in a deeper way than where, um, I don't know, I think it's just, it's really encouraging. And there, I, I will admit there will be some episodes that maybe a more traditional Latter-day Saint listen to and might be repulsed by, but that, you know, you're just willing to have any conversation and uh, I'm willing to sit with it and learn and, and discuss and whatnot. So, well, let's jump into some news here. That's what we do at this week in Mormons. And uh, I've asked you guys to maybe go find two to three headlines, articles, news items in the last couple of weeks since uh, we, I think we skipped last week. So we can dive into all sorts of, of content here. But uh, Rick, do you want to start us off with uh, what what uh, news item do you want to summarize? And then uh, let's talk about it. Sure. Um, I think the biggest thing is the uh, 
Salt Lake Tribune headline, in a stunning move, the LDS church comes out for a bill that recognizes same-sex marriage. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for years, the LDS church has been fighting against same-sex marriage. There was the big, uh, I think, two uh, Prop 8 uh, things in California. Um, and now the church has kind of seen the writing on the wall and said, well, as long as you carve out a place for religions, we'll support the same-sex marriage bill. Um, you know, it's interesting because last uh, earlier this year, I think all four of Utah's congressmen voted for it. It sounds like uh, Mitt Romney is in favor of it and Mike Lee is opposed to it. Um, but it looks like in this lame duck session of Congress here, uh, the bill's probably going to pass and the, and the church is, is putting its blessing on. So it's been interesting to see reactions um, because while you, um, some people have been like, too little, too late, LDS church. So, uh, uh, and others, you know, others are obviously in favor of it. So, um, so uh, you know, to me, that was a big surprise that uh, the, the church is, is moving in that direction because they've they've fought so hard against it for so long, um, you know, probably at least thirty years, and so they've they've definitely made a change of position there. So, what's interesting is is that a lot of people are critical of the church because um, they have these religious exemptions in there. But this is the thing. If they didn't have those religious exemptions in there, that bill would be declared unconstitutional by the Supreme Court because it's separation of church and state. So for those of you who want to, to say, oh, you know, they didn't go far enough for this bill is a compromise. Well, the reality is, is that you you have to have religious exemptions because it would be a violation, you know, if, if you didn't. So uh, and the, the, other, the other thing is, you know, I had a conversation with Matt Harris at, uh, I think it was at Mormon History or maybe in Whitmer, and we were talking about... Um, I had mentioned to him, I said, I think one day the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints may embrace gay marriage. I said, but it will happen when you start seeing evangelical churches embracing it. I said, because one of the biggest things is that the church is always very cognizant of the criticism that they get from mm. the evangelicals. And so partly is they just want to show, hey, we're Christian, we're Christian just like you guys. And, and again, this is just, I'm speaking, speaking naturalistically, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm making any prophecies or, or telling the church what to do. But my speculation is, is that in the next 10, 20, 30 years, when you start seeing more and more evangelical groups and denominations being accepting of gay marriage, that I think that would provide the opportunity for the church to also maybe change their direction in this. And I think it's kind of one of those inevitable things because, you know, it, it, I, I don't, I think for the church to remain relevant, and that's the beautiful thing about the LDS church is that they have all the tools there. They have this idea that they can have new revelation. And I mean, that's what the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was all about, was founded on this as new, new light and new revelation and all these kind of things. So I think that there's potential there for the church that down the road, this this will lead to a um, an acceptance of gay marriage within the Latter-day Saint church. And I'm curious, Steve, just from your evangelical background, which organization is closer to that? Is it the evangelicals or the Latter-day Saints? Well, I think that's a good question. I think that the evangelical youth and stuff are also leaving the churches here. They're dropping out just like they are in the Latter-day Saint movement. And so, and then you have a lot of them that are either themselves LGBTQ 
or they're very good friends with LGBTQ people. So um, it, and you got to understand, evangelicalism is very much a market-based system. In other words, a lot of it's, it's like, it's like a free market of ideas. And so it's almost like the market itself is going to determine this and it's going to move these churches mm. in that direction. I think it's inevitable that you're going to start seeing this, especially as the younger generations, you know, I mean, I look at it this way. I mean, you know, I was, you know, I myself am a gay man who, you know, talk about my story. I'm Mormon stories. You know, I, I told, and I don't really talk about my personal life at all. I'm not interested in it. Actually. <laughs> I think it's the least interesting thing about me, but I, I have not got any pushback <laughs> from evangelicals at all. So it's interesting just as far as how the evangelical world handles this because with when the church make when our church makes a change it's like this you know the statement from from the brethren and then it's sort of put in handbooks or a letter sent out to um all the churches involved and sort of this big swooping change where in the evangelical tradition correct me if i'm wrong it's like a few churches start it and then there's 20 percent and 30 percent and so it's this slow gradual wave is that accurate yeah it is and you gotta understand it's it's interesting because the evangelical church has its own history with racism, um, kind of like similar to the Mormon church in that, uh, I mean, people don't realize it, but Jerry Falwell was a, was a segregationist and he burned all his segregationist sermons when he started becoming more mainstream. So -hmm. the evangelical world in many ways, because the power base is the Southeastern United States. And many of these churches were traditionally a pro segregationist. And now these very same churches have moved so far away from that. Now, there are some people who complain about the Southern Baptist Convention on, on some issues. I had uh, Dr. Amos Brown come on, who's a friend of President Nelson, and he 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 was he went after the Southern Baptist pretty good. He doesn't feel like they've reconciled too well on that whole thing. Mm. But the reality is, is that the people in the pews and institutionally, um, the, the they are no longer you know outwardly racist. There are racists that attend services, but the at, but just it, that's it's it's no, it's a taboo thing. You know you don't talk about it. So it, we, and then and then we see the same transition happening, you know, with the LDS Church. Now you guys, the difference is you guys put out a statement, you know, a proclamation, and <laughs> that saying you know adding it to your uh, doctrines and covenants, saying that blacks do have the priesthood. Uh, or will we'll be able to receive the priesthood. Whereas it just kind of was a gradual evolution that happened within the evangelical world where, you know, racism is no longer, it's if, if it's there, but it's no longer tolerated. It's no longer openly embraced. And it's something that's just, it's still there, but it's not, it doesn't dominate uh, evangelicalism like it did like in the, you know, back in the day. Yeah. Rick, any other thoughts on this, uh, on this new story? Or you know, it? I think... Better late than never. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, I know some people are really frustrated with that it took so long, and but uh, I'm I'm happy with the change. So yeah, yeah. There definitely is this feel that we've sort of uh, conceded the cultural battle, and uh, as long as you know we're not forced to do anything within the context of our religion and faith and marriages and things that we can still operate uh, as according to our beliefs, then you know we'll we'll. uh, this sort of they can they move forward with that so right right yeah all right steve what about you what uh news story or item do you want to jump on well i think one of the things that uh, this actually kind of ties into the whole game, game marriage thing is that we have david archuleta who's kind of announced oh, yeah. and he's done a series of interviews recently about how he's stepping away from the church and he also talked about how there were apostles in the 70s that were counseling him that he needs to find a woman and marry her and this is the kind of advice they were giving him so he's kind of revealed some of that inside stuff that happens 
And so you have this person who's obviously all, I mean, it, it, I remember last year I was at the Mormon History Association sitting next to Rick and you showed me your phone and said, hey, David Archuleta just came out. I said, was that was that a surprise to anyone? <laughs> you know, <laughs> And uh, so it was a kind of a, you know, it's an interesting journey that he's on. And uh, and it's and he's telling the story. And this is interesting because now the media, this is like, you know, this past year and a half since Murder Among the Mormons last year, the Mormonism has become front and center in the media world. And there, there's a lot of the product being pushed out there. And a lot of it's kind of like it doesn't the church doesn't have much control of the narrative because they're talking about other sects and other maybe groups. And then you also have David Archuleta, who's like the the golden child of the LDS church announcing that he's he's got to step back because for his, for his own sake, you know, for his mental health and, and, and all that. And it's so interesting that he makes this announcement, Ray's about to go on a Christmas tour of Utah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll see how, how that goes. Right. And I, I would imagine most people will be open and, and uh, hopefully people buy tickets. I, I guess I need to buy some tickets. So, I mean, he, he puts out a good product uh, apart from his personal journey and whatever that means. Um, yeah. It was interesting how I, I've heard a lot of people reference this, that, you know, he he's referencing these, uh, this conversation he had with an apostle and the advice was that, Oh, we just need to find you a, a good girl and whatnot. And this seems very like 1960s, you know, uh, approach to, to this issue. But I also wonder like, cause early on when he did come out, he, he identified as, as bisexual. And it makes me wonder if these conversations were still in the context of him being bisexual right. again, not that this is suddenly fantastic advice, but, um, you know, I, I guess I always, you know, running leading saints and whatnot, I'm, I'm always trying to give the benefit of the doubt to the leader because there's always two stories. We don't have the other story of what really happened and what was said and, and whatnot. So, but if it was in the context of being bisexual, maybe this, you know, apostles thinking, well, if as long as you're attracted to women, maybe we, if we find you a good lady, you know, yeah. it'll, it'll all work out. But I can see uh, that. Well, this is the thing. This is the thing too, is, you know, I tell people that I didn't come out of the closet until I was 25 years old. Oh, wow. And and I was in a high demand religion, very conservative. And I said, you have to understand that emotionally, when it comes to my sexuality and stuff like that, I'm still a teenager because mm -hmm. I didn't have that first date or that first kiss growing up like the heterosexual kids did. Right. I didn't have that breakup that you know hurt my feelings. I had all that when I was in my mid 20s, all the stuff I should have been going through in high school. Mm. So I think that in David Arch's his journey is that he has been in the closet all this time. So I look at this, he's, he's in his early thirties, but if, and he's still figuring things out. He's effectively younger than his actual age when it comes to his sexuality and trying to figure things out. Mm. So I don't know where he's at exactly on all this. And I'm not even going to, you know, this is his journey that he's on, but right. yeah, I get that. I can understand if he's telling people he's bisexual that, that, okay, that I'll give him credit. Cause a lot of people are very critical. Oh, they're trying to make him marry. Well, you know, if he's telling them they're bisexual, then yeah, maybe that that's a legitimate thing. I don't have an issue with that. Yeah. Rick, any thoughts come to mind? <laughs> I like his music. He's got good music. So, <laughs> yeah. And hopefully he keeps producing. He, it, right? he was still robbed on American Idol. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is sort of a, a and you'll appreciate this, Rick. It's a, there's a tangent to this uh, story, that's right. very, something very tangential. Uh, that's why I brought on the gospel tangents guy. But, um, <laughs> but it's interesting, you know, you just see, um, David Archuleta's relationship with the church over the years. You know, I remember going to the, the back then it was Mormon Tabernacle Choir, the Christmas concert where David Archuleta was the featured talent, right? Every year they have like this featured talent. A lot of times they're from Broadway or elsewhere from opera or whatnot. And he was the featured talent. And, uh, 
and it sort of began this relationship. You know, he later goes on a mission. I know on his mission, he did a lot to use his um, his ability and talent of singing down in in Chile with uh, promoting the gospel and whatnot. And then he comes home, and there's sort of this. You know, I think he did a, a cover of the the Gloria song, and, and so it was sort of like this is our guy. And, um, and I don't, you know, I don't think I don't fault the church for doing that. It's just sort of suddenly becomes awkward or it's like, like, okay, now what, <laughs> what does that mean? And hopefully we can maintain some healthy, um, I don't even know what it would look like, but you know, I, it's, it's, it's such a loss to suddenly cancel everything that uh, we do with David Archuleta as a church and organization. And, and, but it just, we're going through that awkward period, that awkward breakup maybe right now. And so we'll see how it, how it comes, it comes out in, in the future, but. Well, it doesn't seem like the church has really tried to cut ties with them. Uh, you know, they haven't yeah. excommunicated him. They they haven't really come out made a statement against him. So they they did re- remove some books from Deseret News or from Deseret Books that he re- they wrote like an intro to. I know that they no longer. Mm. I read somewhere they did that books no longer oh, available. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, obviously, you know, we wish the best to him, and hopefully, he. I don't know. My my hope is that we still consider him part of our community that he still considers himself part of our community that we find opportunities to uh, connect and promote the, the awesome music he does regardless if it's religious related or not and go from here. So um, Rick, we back to you. What, what other story you got? I think the next one I want to talk a little bit about um, is the nightclub shooting in mm. Colorado. Now, there, um, for people who don't know, Colorado Springs, very evangelical community. Um, five people have been killed, uh, 25 injured. Last, uh, at least those are the latest reports on that. Um, there has been some rumors. I've heard two rumors, and I don't know if they're conflicting or if they might both be true. Uh, the, there's a rumor on a website called Heavy R, and I'm not much on rumors here, but um, you know, it is on the uh, Transgender Day of Remembrance uh, when they when the attack occurred. A, a man walked into a gay nightclub and uh, with a long rifle. And just started shooting people. I mean, it's really mm. reminiscent of what happened in Orlando um, at that terrible shooting. And uh, the, the two rumors, that, well, one of them I think is pretty substantiated. The San Diego Tribune um, is reporting that the man is a uh, grandson of a Assemblies of God bigwig. I'm not really familiar with them. Um, but, uh, you know, they're kind of Pentecostal and that sort of a thing. There's been some people who have uh, tried to call out uh, his grandfather for being anti-gay and that sort of a thing. But there's also another rumor that um, he, and this is a website called heavy.com, which is not my, probably not the, the most reliable but there's some uh, supposedly some screenshots where a woman in Colorado Springs um, says that her son has had mental illness problems and um, that he's Mormon or, or LDS or uh, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for those who don't like those terms. But uh, 
So I don't, I haven't seen from any reputable sources that has been, you know, it could be that maybe parent or the son converted from Assemblies of God to LDS. I don't know, but uh, uh, there's a, there's a chance that he could uh, have been maybe at least evangelical, possibly LDS. And, uh, you know, a lot of the ex-Mormon community don't like Elder Holland's talk, uh, Musket's talk, because they're like, look what happened. Um, so it, it's a news item. And whether, I guess, to my point, whether he's e evangelical or LDS, we still have a big problem in this country um, where people think that gay people deserve to die. And that's that's just a problem mm. that, that we've got to... Yeah. I mean, it's just as bad as the racism and the lynchings of the 40s and 50s. So, yeah, and then I just noticed too that uh, Calvin Burke, who I've I've met with a couple, I've met him at Mormon History Association. He tweeted this out. That's how I heard about the story, and it was on Ex Mormon. This is the thing that I don't like: is when you're like on the Ex Mormon subreddit, immediately they're saying tying it into well, Musket, you know, the Musket uh, speech that El- Elder Holland gave last year, and I just think that it's so unfair. That people who have like, see, this is the thing, just because you have been hurt by the church, whether it's on the evangelical world or the, and the LD, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, sometimes people, if you switch out the language that they use and say Jew instead of LDS or evangelical, it sounds really bad. And so when people immediately start attacking people, if the, the, you know, because, well, he's, he's, imagine if people were saying, well, you know, making a big deal about, you know, if he was Jewish and or something how horrible that would come across. So these people are now like saying, oh, he's a Mormon, he's a Mormon. Um, what have we done? That's what Calvin, right? You know, and it's mm-hmm. just like, okay, let's step back, you know, because whenever these things happen, there's always misinformation that comes out. We get things wrong. And it's kind of interesting because there's a convergence of, you know, Assemblies of God is, a, is, is the largest Pentecostal denomination in the world and the largest Pentecostal denomination in America. And, uh, and so this is a this would be a big deal in that community too. But I say, you know, um, we we just need to be careful and to jump to conclusions without having information and just assume. I mean, obviously, most of the time these are these are people that have serious issues other than just their religion. Yeah, and then, I mean, throw it out, chalk it up on the list of uh, reasons. Social media is just not helpful in these tragic situations because you know let's uh, let's mourn the loss and and let those families process, and then uh, rather than trying to tie everything tragic back to a specific organization or a specific person, or it's just not helpful. You know, so I'm glad you mentioned that. And by um, the way, I miss. I stated the wrong. It was it was the it wasn't the San Diego Tribune. It was the Times of San Diego. So. Okay, gotcha. We'll definitely link all these in the the show notes so that people can uh, check it out and review it and uh, go from there. So, uh, Steve, how many more articles you got? Where where, where are we at? Well, I kind of wanted to talk about something that um, we mentioned. Uh, something that happened on my show, an interview I just released the other day. Which because this is this week's in, in this week in Mormons, which in, in my world in, includes. All the restoration. Yeah. And so the second largest branch of the restoration, the community of Christ, formerly known as the RLDS. Um, I had on Evan Charlie on my program, and he uh based on his study, so he's done an extensive study about how uh prophets are chosen and how the the bureaucracy works within the community of Christ. Now, one of the reasons that this is significant is because this ties into 1984 when that church decided to uh ordain women into the priesthood. And now we're almost 
40 years later, a generation, if you will, biblical generation, um, <laughs> we are having a uh, this possibility that Evans seems to think that things are being set up that Stephen Vesey, who's the current president of the church, um, might step aside and that the next uh, prophet of the community of Christ, prophet president, or a prophetess, could be uh, an individual named Stacy Krem. And, and, and Evan seems to think that she's in the first presidency, and there's a lot of things happening with the community of Christ, a lot of tumultuous things. There are churches that are closing and combining. My friend David Boyce witnessed that with, with the Stone Church uh, when he attended there uh, last a couple weeks ago. Um, and so, and then, and then Stephen Vesey has been putting out these videos where he's talking about like the changes, you know, that we need to do in the 21st century. We got to go in a different direction. And it does seem like the groundwork is being laid that perhaps we could see in a female prophet president of the second largest branch of the restoration, which is not insignificant. This is the church of Joseph Smith's family. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And what sort of, uh, you think there'd be a lot of, uh, you know, I know in 1984, when that when the women were ordained, there was uh, many that that left that that tradition. Is would that would you anticipate something like that would happen again? No, it's it's um, they lost about 30 percent of their membership and uh, because of the events of 1984. So wow. if you're in the independence area, you have a lot of different groups. You have the Remnant Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints was one of one of the biggers. Then you have Patrick McKay's group. Um, which is, you know, and these, and so you have these various scatterings of different groups there in their mind. It's almost like, yeah, we, now I, I talked to some, their hope has always been that a Smith would become a prophet again and that it would restore things back to the way it should be. But if this were to happen, this would probably be the final, uh, thing for them that maybe there's no chance that there will ever be a re a reorganization, if you will, of the reorganization. Um, and that, that, that the community of Christ chose a path to go more in a mainline Protestant direction in the mid eighties, or actually really in the seventies is it was when these things started happening. And so this, this, this will be, uh, and again, this, whether this happens at their world conference in April or not, um, it's inevitable that this is going to happen. If the trajectory is it's, it's obvious that a female is going to be the head of that church one day, and it could happen as early as this spring. Hmm. Um, and so there's just a lot happening but again, this and again, many of their 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 ministers are uh, often got training at a United Methodist Sarah, a Seminary, uh, so they're tied in. And, and their Methodism has always played a key role with the Smiths because Emma, for a while, when 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 the when the Utah Saints uh, left and followed uh, Brigham, she attended a Methodist church. So uh, for a while, and I think he, so. Joseph Smith III for a while was even attending Methodist churches growing up. So this kind of just ties in everything. Where it's it's going to be basically, I think what you're going to see eventually is you're going to see them going to they're going to be in communion with the Methodists, the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the Episcopal Church. That eventually that that's inevitable as well. Wow, interesting, uh, Rick. Any any thoughts come to mind or? So I I think it's a little early to jump the gun. I've been talking to John Hamer re- recently, and uh, there could be a Smith that takes uh, over the community of Christ. And, and John's point was, look, <laughs> it's a vote, and it's not like an LDS vote where everybody just raised their hand kind of thoughtlessly. <laughs> yeah. No, they like debate this thing. And Evan did invite me to uh, World Conference, which I think is a week or two after LDS General Conference. And so um, 
So I'm probably going to go. Evan actually has a resolution yeah. that they want to put the scriptures online, um, which I don't know why anybody would vote against that. <laughs> but, well, but at any rate, um, you know, one of the possible candidates is Locke Mackay, who I've mm-hmm. had on, on, on twice. He is a descendant of Joseph Smith. He's the one that, here, maybe I'll pull this a little closer, that did a lot of the research on the, the Joseph Smith photo, uh, the daguerreotype, and it was in his family. His uncle, Dean Larson, I believe it was, was the one who found that. And so um, he's a, he's definitely a possible candidate. And if they want to tie, tie back to that, um, i trying to remember. I think John mentioned somebody else, but I knew Locke, and that one stuck in my head. Um, but yeah, it could be a woman. Who, but But the fact is, it's way too early to tell, but it it does appear that uh, that uh, Steve Vizi is going to step down in April, and mm-hmm. uh, so you know, and I, holy cow, I I I'm looking forward to attending because it's their their world conference is like legislating, like it's not like yeah, it's like go- every, visiting Parliament, every, you know, right? Yeah, like we have a bunch of twelve apostles and they all speak. No, that's not how it is at all. Um, so it, uh, I'm obviously not a member of the Community of Christ, so I'm not going to get to vote. Um, <laughs> so, but it sounds like a lot of fun just to just to yeah. attend. So, so very too early to say who the next prophet will be is, is what I'm going to say. I just I'm rooting for Locke because he's such a good guy and I love. Yeah, Locke. <laughs> yeah I mean, either way, it would be cool, but. Um... The uh, but I think Evan, if you I, as a matter of fact, I'll send. Uh, I'll make sure we put a link in the show notes so you can watch the, my interview with Evan. Um, yeah. And he he was raised LDS, and now he's become uh, he's also a member of John Hamer's congregation, which he lives in Idaho, but he's a member of John Hamer because John Hamer has, a, quote unquote, the largest congregation in the community of Christ because he, it's largely online, and so he can be a member of of that church even though he lives in Idaho. And then be able to do these resolutions. So any member of the church can go to their church and say, hey, I'd like to pass a resolution. And it just makes its way up the chain. And there will be 15 different resolutions that we voted on this April at World Conference. So stay tuned. Nice. This is why I invite you two on here, because we really we literally become this week in Mormons, not just this <laughs> week in the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, uh, right, right. Utah Church. <laughs> Anyway, so this is which is uh, why you, you got to keep the name Mormons in there because I, I I've had people right. say, well, if you really want to make uh, inroads with members, you really should use the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints. I said, well, you don't understand. I was talking to a cab driver in Utah, you know, oh, and yeah. I said, well, you don't understand. <laughs> I said, uh, I I I would alienate all the other Book of Mormon believing churches if I just did that. So I said, the Mormon Book Reviews is for everybody, and it's just not for the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints. That's right. right. That's right. Although community of Christ doesn't like to be called Mormons, and neither do Bickerton tonight's. But strong guys they like had, it. They use the Book of Mormon, so that's, that's right. <laughs> strong guys like it, and fundamentalist Mormons love it. They, yeah. They're definitely still Mormons. <laughs> All right, Rick. Do you have any uh, any other news item we can jump on? So this one is a little interesting. Um, I saw. I don't. I'm not much of a Twitter guy, but there was a little. Uh, rustling between the Salt Lake Tribune and the Deseret News, um, Peggy Fletcher Stack, uh, religion gal at the Salt Lake Tribune, said, why does the Deseret News, why does a glowing, glowing story in 
at Deseret about American Heritage School, which teaches science and history through the eyes of religion, failed to mention that the paper's editor, Hal Boyd, is on the school board. And then she says another undisclosed fact, Elder Rasband's daughter is also one of the trustees. And so um, it it really seems like uh, the Deseret News is kind of tipping the scale. Hal Boyd responded, 60% of the students are on scholarship. Why hate on good in the world? Um, <laughs> so, you know, the, the, that, that's kind of more of a newspaper little spat. But I thought it was kind of interesting that uh, Tribune's throwing a little shade on Deseret News yeah. about uh, obviously not the separation of church and a, a school as, as we would normally teach. Um, yeah, usually so, uh, it seems like the the sort of the rivalry between the Desert News and Salt Lake Tribune is much more passive aggressive. Where this is like, hey, I'm going I'm going to call you out, and we're gonna we're gonna discuss this, you know. So, yeah, interesting stuff. So, uh, Steve, any thoughts on that? You want to add or? Well, but you know, it's kind of I went to Christian schools growing up, so I know what it's like to attend you know Christian schools. And at the time, then there there weren't government vouchers and stuff like there are now. You know, seeing see more and more of that funding and stuff like that. Um, it's a very controversial thing because some people don't want like because it's very conservative and it's religious oriented, and some people don't really care for that. So I guess it's kind of just an interesting conversation we have to have with each other. But this is the other thing too: a lot of people don't realize that the whole school funding issue about funding religious schools was actually an anti-Catholic thing. The Protestants did not want government money back in the day when we were a highly anti-Catholic nation going to parochial schools. So mm. that's where this idea of we won't fund religious schools was based on anti-Catholic bigotry. So we have to keep that in mind as well. There you go. Awesome. Steve, anything we're missing? Well, you know, one thing I, I did want to talk about, because you had, you had mentioned about maybe stuff that happened in the last few weeks. And one of the yeah. things I want to mention was, uh, you know, of course, you had those two exposés, one mm. by the Fifth Estate uh, of the CBC in Canada, and another by 60 Minutes Australia. And this had to do with the church finances. And they it was a one-two punch. I mean, literally, Fifth Estate comes out on a Thursday night, and then Sunday uh, night, uh, the Australia thing comes out. And you could tell they were using the same shots. They were coordinating this together. And essentially, these two newscasts, which are very influential in both countries, um, may cause the governments of both Canada and Australia to start investigating the church and their finances to see why is it that so much money that's given is taken out and also how things are done with charities in Australia. Now, the reason I bring this up is I actually had Nigel Kennett, who was the quote unquote whistleblower in the Canadian story. We were able to identify him before anybody knew his name. We were able to track him down and and have him interviewed the day after it aired on the CBC. Then I, I thought as soon as that episode was over, I felt like, because this is the one thing that kind of bothered me about both reports was, first of all, all the people that were on there, they had a right to tell their story. But I felt that the both of the stories were very biased in that they did not have, okay, so so they didn't have an official representative of the church who would come right. on the program. Right. And I even had a bishop in, 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 in Canada reach out to me and say, I really wish that they would have. We had a nice conversation on the phone about it. He just, he actually just, he just was formerly a bishop not that long ago. And he gave me his side of, you know, what the Mormon church does on the local level. And it does do a lot of good in the community. But uh, I really felt like after watching the reports and then having my interview with Nigel and Nigel, good guy, I think it was important. He felt this was a real important thing he wants to bring out to the public. Um, 
was I, I, I got on the phone with, uh, with Jonathan Neville and said, you know what, can you watch these episodes? Because I want a faithful response to this as well. Because I do think that the media is biased against religion. And even Nigel mentions it in the interview, where when I was talking to these people, we live in such a bubble, they, had, they don't know anything about Mormonism. They don't know anything about religion, essentially, it's the secular media. And, and, and even to the point when the 60 Minutes Australia report, when they were showing the Mormon missionaries, they're having one Mormon missionary knocking on the door. They couldn't even get it right about two Mormon missionaries all two by two. So there's this sense that when I was watching the, both these exposés was, on one sense, yeah, probably a lot of this stuff's been vetted by lawyers. This is accurate information that they're probably presenting to people. But boy, why could I could have found, I could have found for both those a half dozen uh LDS folk faithful who would have gladly come on that program to talk about their church. They didn't make an effort. So I felt they were biased. And I do feel like the media is biased against religious people. And so I did want to make sure that there was some balance there. I'm sorry, mm. get off my soapbox. Now. No, I love it. I love it. I appreciate that. Um, especially coming from the the guy who is, uh, you know, in the middle, who doesn't, doesn't have a dog in the fight per se, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, Rick, anything to add? Not too much. I mean, obviously, the LDS Church is a target now that people know that they got a hundred billion dollars there, and uh, they're going to be scrutinized as to how they're spending that money. Um, you know, everything I've seen is there's nothing illegal about it. It does sound like both Canada and Australia legislatures are looking into this and saying, "Is this something we really want to support?" You know, or maybe there's. <laughs> put a limit on well because you know the money is supposedly going from canada to byu or the byu schools i guess i should say mm-hmm. and uh there's like only one percent of them are are canadian students and so maybe they'll limit the amount um and say you if you're going to claim this deduction it has to be spent in canada but uh yeah. i or we'll have a, a a considerable influx of Canadians being accepted to BYU. So, <laughs> <laughs> Steve's more of a, an insider on Canadian politics, I understand, than I am. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's weird. Um, I could do I could do a channel on Canadian politics. I mean, it's crazy. So yeah, I just <laughs> it's weird. All these strange uh, things that I'm interested in, but but yeah, that's that's the thing. Is like I recognize that when I saw, okay, this is fifth estate. This is a big deal. This is going to sh- send some shockwaves in Canada, and that's why I felt it was. It was. I felt a responsibility to bring this story to my audience because they may not recognize the importance of this news story in Canada and the effect that it could have because the CBC is actually funded by the government. So this is a government funded program that's doing this expose. And so and 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 often the does things do happen. So people need to be aware that just because these news stories happened a few weeks ago, that's just the beginning of the story that's going to probably be continuing for a while. Awesome. Man, uh, Rick, any other stories? Did we cover them all? I think we got them all. I'm, I'm, nice. I don't have anything more. Anything so. else we need to cover, Steve? We got them? Well, first of all, Kurt, this was so awesome. Oh, good. I really enjoyed our conversation today. I'm really yeah, excited cool. about this this you in this this uh this week in mormons podcast i think that's a real important thing because there really isn't anything there's some people attempting to do it but really i think that you've got you you have the uh winning formula to make this happen <laughs> and it's a great just a news roundup of what you do every week i'm going to be promoting it i'm very excited about your new awesome. endeavor and of course, I think you're awesome. Just an awesome dude. And thanks for picking up lunch. Oh, go on. Last time I was in Utah. That's right. Well, it was fun to get to know you. And I'm glad we visited when you're here. And so, well, Steve, let's make sure we 
we send people to uh, where they need to go to learn more about you and listen to your great content. And again, uh, go check out his latest uh, presentation about uh, the Book of Mormon and whatnot. It's fantastic. So where should people go to find you? Oh, so... Uh, Mormon book reviews uh, on YouTube. Uh, just uh, th- that's that's my main thing. I do have this in a podcast format, but I'm way behind because I'm mostly a YouTuber, but I do want to get my audio caught up as well. Um, so you can find some of my older stuff on uh, your major podcast formats as well. I also have a website called mormonbookreviews.com, which is actually just a merch store uh, where I sell uh, product and stuff like that. And also, if you do want to reach me directly, you can reach me at mormonbookreviews at gmail.com. Awesome. Rick, where, where, what tangent should we take to find gospel tangents? <laughs> so I've got a website, gospeltangents.com, has my YouTube videos, as well as uh, you can download it on their favorite podcast player, uh, youtube.com slash gospeltangents. Uh, you can see me there. And uh, those are, are the main main two places. So Awesome. Well, thanks for, for joining us, and hopefully we'll uh, maybe see your or hear your voices on the podcast in the future. And uh, good good news, folks. Next week is the Twim Sisters. They'll be back. They're they're in our rotation, and I'm excited to uh, – they always do a great job. So look forward to that. And uh, we encourage you to go to patreon.com slash This Week in Mormons. Uh, there's going to be some more dialogue happening there as far as the future of This Week in Mormons and the plans and the, the, the people we're having involved, and it's going to be great. So – Check it out. All right. And by the way, me and Steve both have Patreons too. So oh yeah, yeah. Why are why are there? Throw, there. throw the money all around. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps us going and a great great content online. So, all right. We'll see you next week on this weekend. Morning.